Please take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Uh, I started full-time at Bear Valley Church uh, last Friday. I've accomplished a ton of things in just one day. Uh, I have an email address. That's my big accomplishment. It's really uh, it's hard to remember, too. It's kevin at bearvalleychurch.org. Make me happy if you sent me a message. Give me something to do this week. Uh, we're super excited to be here, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the staff of Bear Valley Church and uh, to get to know them better and to get to know you all better. And we'll just trust that God will teach us all a ton uh, from our time together, and we'll trust Him for the future. This morning we're in Colossians chapter 4, and we're in a third week of a, a series really talking about the power of the church. And undoubtedly, I think that most of you here today, if, you were, if I were to ask you what kind of church you want to be a part of, is that you would say, I want to be a part of a successful church, a church that great things are happening. And I thought about that, and I thought about, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I, I've thought that in my own mind. I want to be a part of a church like that. Sometimes we think of it in terms of numbers. There's enough Baptists uh, in, here in our midst that we count all the time, that we have records going back to the time of... Uh, Noah, of how many people uh, came to Bear Valley Church and, you know, what, how many came on a Sunday. And uh, I remember being in meetings even prior to this that we were sure we got the numbers wrong. And so uh, maybe we were counting dogs in the parking lot or something like that. And uh, we talk about that sometimes in terms of numbers. Maybe for you, you say, well, wouldn't it be great if Bear Valley Church had 500 people here or 600 or 10,000. Wouldn't that be funny if there were 10,000 people at Bear Valley Church? It wouldn't make sense. Anyways, but sometimes we talk in terms of that. Maybe some of you talk in terms of breadth of ministry. Maybe you think, well, if we had some more pastors here, we had, you know, we have a youth pastor, we have a music pastor. Maybe we should have a children's pastor as well and a, a care pastor. And we maybe have 10 pastors on staff. That would really make a successful church. That would really make a complicated church is what it probably would amount to. But you think about these in different terms of success. And I wanted to this morning, as we look, uh, as we consider this church here, this is a local church. Uh, we can't speak for even the rest of Tehachapi or even the world and what the church should be. We can only talk about this church right here. And this morning, I wanted to really think through and get us going in our own minds of what needs to happen right here, right here. A few years ago, uh, during an election, the the big, uh, it, was, it was super interesting phenomena. They got this guy, Joe the Plumber, Joe the Plumber. And I was thinking about Joe the Plumber, and I was thinking, what what needs to happen to Joe the Plumber if he comes to Bear Valley Church? But it's really not just Joe the plumber. He was kind of representative of just a normal guy. Uh, I've uh, been exposed to construction workers, and they're really not all that normal, by the way. But uh, Joe the plumber. But what about Joseph, the CEO, a wealthy man, a powerful man? What would happen if he would come to Bear Valley Church? Or maybe it's Joey, the middle schooler. 
What would, what needs to happen to them as they come to Bear Valley Church? And I really thought through in my mind, what is it, what is the process that we want to see happen? First of all, we want them to know clearly the gospel. We want them to know the gospel. The message of the gospel, we want them to understand that Jesus died for sinners, that they are sinners, and that coming to understand that, that they know they need a Savior, and it's Jesus Christ, and in believing in Him, believing in Him and Him alone, that that's the way that they can have their sins taken care of, and that they can be brought into the body of Christ and have a, have a residence and a home in heaven. We want them to know that message. Secondly, we want them to accept it, right? It's not just know it and go, I can talk that back to you. But we want them to invest it all, invest it all in that message. I think of uh, gambling and I think, oh, gambling's bad, right? It is bad. It is bad. I think of a scene in a movie in Casablanca where this desperate couple is going into the casino and, and Humphrey Bogart comes behind him and says, put it on number 22. And the guy goes, okay. And he puts it on number 22. And magically it comes up on the roulette wheel as 22. And he gets all this money. He says, leave it there. And he goes again and it, bam. And he gets all this money. He says, cash in your chips and I don't want to ever see you again. And I think about that and I go, wow, everyone kind of dreams of having that kind of in, right? To, to put it all on one and then, but that's how we are, right? What are you investing all that you are in? We don't want it in gambling or stuff of this earth. We don't want it in uh, an occupation or even in a, a beautiful area that we live in. We're looking that people would not just hear the message, but that they would invest all that they are in Jesus Christ and accepting that message. What happens as you do that is God changes you, doesn't he? It's not that we just hear a message, understand a message, accept a message, but in so doing, he changes us. And that's what I think of when I think of Bear Valley Church. I think that you, I've seen your lives be changed. I've heard your testimonies. You've told me how you were before and now how your life is different. God is in the process of changing you. We understand the gospel. We accept the gospel. And, and in surrender, we are changed by the gospel. And then as God has done that, we continue to grow to love him more and to, and to continue to understand him better. You know what's interesting about having a relationship with God? You never get it, right? You never get it. Uh, I was talking to one of my uh, children, and I won't throw them under the bus too much. I might do that. I, I have a tendency to do that, but that's okay. But they were talking about the Bible, and they were young, and they thought in their mind, and uh, they had read a portion of the Scripture. And I said, well, have you thought about this? And, oh, I've already read that. I've already read that. And how funny does that sound to us that uh, know uh, the Lord for many years? There's a sense of, first of all, we forget, right? None of you forget, right? Uh, but we forget, and there's a sense in which, because of God's greatness, it takes a lifetime and more to understand Him and to know Him and to, uh, to really understand His kindness and how gracious He is and how great He is. And there's a sense in which even if you've known the Lord for 70 years, 
that there's still more for you to know. So there's a growing process. And then really the result is twofold. First of all, that you would be fit to be a soldier down here, fit to be a soldier down here, as well as uh, a resident of heaven, resident of heaven. You know, that's, that's what we are. We're either workers or soldiers down here, or we are taken home to be a resident of heaven. That's what we're desiring to be accomplished in this church, in this local church. This morning, I, as I think about this process, I, I look at that process of bringing someone, whoever it is, Joe the plumber, Joseph the CEO, Joey the middle schooler, whoever that is, I look at that and I go, there's no way it can happen. There's no way. It just can't happen. You know, I, I think that sometimes it's interesting. We think things are simple in our, our, our world today. Yeah, you can change the color of someone's hair. You can change an outfit. You can retrain someone for another occupation. But what we're talking about here is the change of heart so dramatic that it's considered a new life. How can we do that? How can we even be a part of that? It's a supernatural work, one that we cannot do. And so this morning, as I consider the power of the church, we come to the issue of prayer. We come to the issue of prayer. If you would, I'd like you in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, and I'd like to read to you this small section. at the end of the book of Colossians and he's referring to different people sending greetings and talking about them, giving update. And in verse 12, Paul says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and in Hierapolis. God, I ask that you would change us through this, through your Holy Spirit, that you would impress upon us a need to be a praying church, that we would not take it lightly or casually, that we would not uh, assume our own strength, but that we would beg for yours to work in our midst. God, thank you for the opportunity to be before your word. Uh, Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Epaphras was one of those guys in the Bible we don't know a whole lot about. Uh, We don't have a, a, a great bio on him. We know just little bits and pieces. And yet what we know Uh, is he is a great example for us of what it means to be people of prayer, people of prayer. As you look at this passage in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, one of you. We don't know what that exactly means, but it was not that he was an outsider. It wasn't one that he was unfamiliar. In fact, uh, as I consider this, it probably was that he was part of the city. He was part of the town. He was known. He may have grown up there. He was one that the people knew because he had risen from their midst and that he was just an ordinary guy, an ordinary guy. 
I think that that's important to remember because especially within the church, sometimes we're impressed by uh, big names from the outside. Especially in our day today where we can get uh, sermons from all around the world, can't we? We can stream them through the internet. I, I've listened to uh, many different preachers on the internet and, and gotten, and, I, and I'm always thinking, boy, they're, they're a better preacher than I am. You know, there's a sense in which, you know, it'd be great for them to be here at Bear Valley Church. And yet, when you look at Epaphras, he was one of them. He was one of them. He was someone who had arisen from their midst. And most likely, the way this happened was Epaphras came to know Christ. He heard the message probably from Paul, probably from Paul. And he came and he brought the message to them. If you look at uh, God's word here, you'll see this. He says, he's one of you. We'll go on and you'll see this in a moment. Second thing he tells, one of you. Second thing, servant of Christ Jesus. Servant of Christ Jesus. I think it's interesting to note uh, that this, this whole idea of being a servant or a slave of Christ is throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about it a ton. He refers to himself and to others as slaves of Christ. And we don't like the term slave in our culture today. I think of this often. And if you're looking for a job, if you're looking uh, for a new career, and you look in the classifieds and it says, slave wanted. Hey, that's something I can do. You know, my mom made me a slave all my growing up. You know, you think of terms like that and you go, slave doesn't... you want to be the boss, right? And yet there's never a sense with Christ of us being the boss. It's simply of us being the slave. And I know that we've struggled uh, as, as pastors to understand what that is. Some have talked about that as being a willing slave, and undoubtedly it is. Undoubtedly it is. It's not a sense of compelling that, that Christ, because of what he has done, he says, now you will be my slave, and if you don't, I will whip you. I will beat you. I will bring you into submission. But rather, there's this loving relationship. And even in this passage, as Epaphras, as you think about who he was, and you think about your own life, and you say, I have come to know Christ and that's good. And that's good. And so what do I want to do with the rest of my days? That change of heart that I talked about, it changes us, right? It reorganizes our priorities in such a way that we realize the gift that we have and it causes us to want to live differently. And in Epaphras' life, he said, you know, I've been changed. I'm a slave of Christ. And as Paul looked upon his life, he said, That man right there is a slave of Christ. He's a slave of Christ. He has a a master relationship with him. What a beautiful picture, right? Why do we do the things we do? Because we're a slave of Christ. Why? Because you can't get away? Well, that's kind of true that we can't get away. But the reason we can't get away is because we are compelled by such an amazing gift. Amazing gift of the gospel. Epaphras was one of them, but he was also changed in such a way that he was a slave of Christ in their midst. Thirdly, I want to point out uh, that he was a successful gospel sharer. A successful gospel sharer. If you want to, first chapter, go to the first chapter of Colossians. I want to tell you now, I want to warn you now, 
that um, once we get done with these four messages on the power of the church, we're going to go to the book of Colossians, and we're going to plow through it as best we can. Epaphras is mentioned here in this opening chapter uh, in one of the pieces that we know of him. In the middle of verse, let's start at verse 6, which has come to you as indeed of the whole world in bearing, is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it, speaking of the gospel, and understood the grace of God in truth. Well, where did we get this? Verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You know what happened? (laughs) Is that Epaphras, in his sharing of the gospel, in his uh, communicating of the grace of truth, in him communicating that, guess what? It was successful. It was successful. I really think of another verse, and I don't like to use too many cross-references, but I thought of this immediately. I couldn't get away from it. In Philippians, or in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul speaks of his own love for that church, and he says, I, 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 didn't just, I wasn't just well pleased to, you, to give you the gospel, but, my, but our own lives as well, because you had become dear to us. And Epaphras was just like that. He loved those people. He loved those people so much that he gave them the gospel and his own life as well. He was successful in, in establishing that church, not because he was great, but because of his affection. And really, we're going to get to see his prayer life was involved in the power of establishing this church. We know this. We know this to be true. And Paul highlights it in his writing to them that they might remember Epaphras, that he had a connection and a relationship with them that was significant. I think about uh, what it means to be great in the church, what it means to be great in the church. And we have even uh, talked about it. In your bulletin today, there's some opportunities to serve. And you think about who's the most powerful man in the church? Who's the most powerful woman in the church? Who really are the power brokers within Bear Valley Church? And you think, i got some names popping up in my head right now. You know, don't say them out loud. We'll get in all kinds of trouble, I assure you. And really, the, the thing that marks Epaphras as being one who's powerful is his prayer life. His prayer life. Think about that. In fact, I, I, I've been around the church long enough to have heard, maybe even said, that I'm going to do something about it. You can go and pray about it, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be a man of action. You can go and you know pray, get in your closet and pray and sing songs and play your harp and whatever, you, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be action-oriented. And I think about this and I think about what a stark contrast to the way we think about the building of a church, the success of a church, and the growing of a church. That Epaphras, what is marked, the one thing that we know about him, apart from him being a sharer of the gospel and a, a bringer of the truth, 
is that he was a man of prayer, a man of prayer. How about us? How about us? I don't say this this morning because uh, I am awesome in prayer. I don't stand before you as the model of what I'm preaching here this morning. I stand before you as one who's convicted that I need to grow and grow in a, a significant way in the days to come in the issues of prayer. Look at what it says in this chapter 4 this morning about Epaphras' prayer life. He says this, in verse 12, A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Always struggling in your behalf in prayer. I get that it is an interesting pa- passage because of the way it describes it. Most of the time, we, we think of prayer as being something restful and calm. and uh, they, they were only praying, but, but that's not the picture here, of, at least of Epaphras' prayer life. It was a struggle. It was something intense. It was something that he labored over. He labored over. That's the other word that's going to be used here in a few moments. Epaphras was one who was a worker in prayer. He was a worker in prayer. He was a laborer in prayer. I think of uh, different physical jobs that I, I wouldn't want to have, you know. I think of pouring concrete every day. You thought about doing that? Some of you do that. <laughs> and I think, I don't want to do that. I've done that a couple of times, and I don't really like it that much. It's hard, back-breaking work. I think of uh, roofing. That's another one. You know, the idea of being up on the roof, trying to hang on and move things and lift things and the danger of it. I don't want to be a roofer. I think of uh, some different people being bricklayers and picking up heavy things. And I've been a ditch digger and and stuff like that. And you just go, well, how does all this, this is physical labor. I want to do something where you kind of sit in an air-conditioned office, you know, Comfy chair, nice music playing in the background, people bringing you cups of coffee and whatever else, pizza, of course, flavored cream, yes, you know, all those things. You know, I, I think of all those things. Of, I want to be the boss. And yet the picture of Epaphras in his prayer life is a picture of struggle, of labor. Wow, that's different, isn't it? In fact, I, I've even considered this last week, just my own prayer life, sometimes it just kind of slips in, right? You know, I'll wake up in the morning, I'll lay there in my bed, be praying about things. It's just kind of a relaxing thing, or maybe on the road to somewhere. And I'm not, I'm not saying we should not pray in these venues, but I do not picture Epaphras being casual and just kind of slipping it into the, the, the facts of his life that he is laboring. It's the one thing he's doing. He's, he's wiping himself out. He's getting tired of prayer. Why? Because the word here that's being used is a word of agony. Agony. Similar to that of what Christ did in the garden. And why was he doing this for himself? You know, I, I think we all can relate to difficult times we've had, Right? where there's pain in our own life and we went before the Lord and we cried out to him, help me, help me, I don't know what to do. I'm hurting so bad, I, I need you. 
But the beauty of this was not that he was hurting, but that he was agonizing on behalf of the church. He was agonizing on the behalf of the people that he knew, the, the one of them. He was one of them. And he was agonizing, and the byproduct was that there was a church, there was a church established there. That's the kind of prayer that I want to be a bar, part of. Prayer that establishes a church. Prayer that brings about the salvation that brings about the changed life that fits people as a soldier and a resident of heaven. Right? This is what we want to be a part of. This agonizing prayer. And and what's interesting is the way Paul writes this, Epaphras wasn't with him. He wasn't with him. He was with Paul. He was with Paul. And so I think that this is hard for me. I don't know if it's hard for you, but if you see people every day, if you see people every day, it's easy to remember them, right? But when you don't see them every day, when you don't get an email, a text, phone call, snail mail, you don't have a picture in front of them, something that you remember, you, you don't have that in front of you. Sometimes you forget, right? Sometimes you forget. But the beauty of this is Epaphras was away and he still was burdened by them. He was still burdened by them. This agonizing prayer had a purpose and this purpose is is laid out here. He says, what is Paul saying? Epaphras is praying for you. (laughs) He's a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. The picture is that process that we talked about, right? Standing firm. Standing firm means you're at the right place, right? Don't move from that place. It's not that you need to change your answer. It's that you stand firm, fully assured, having that confidence once again that you are in the right place. What he is praying for there, what he is is concerned about as he's away from them is that they do not give up the right place, that they invest their souls in that local church. He prayed for them that they would not be deceived into another message or drift off. You know, that that's always the case, isn't it? That's always the case. One of the dangers, I'll just talk a little too personally right here. One of the dangers of this church right here is not that someone would go to a different church. It's That's not the danger. The danger is that some of you wouldn't go to church at all. You'd forget the local church and you'd say, I'm going to go to, you know, religion's kind of a personal thing. You know, and I'm going to go to my corner of Bear Valley or Stallion Springs or the forest and I'm going to get my little cabin up there and I'm going to go and initially spend time with the Lord and then just push everyone away and forget about what God is doing. I don't know how many people I meet as a pastor, they find out that I'm a pastor. They go, oh yeah, I used to go to church. And they're thinking that that's going to somehow connect us, you know. (laughs) One of the the people that I got most angry with in my five years in Petaluma was a man I met out in the community. And uh, 
he found out that I was a pastor and he came up to me and he goes, hey, yeah, it's great. You know, he starts talking. He goes, yeah, I know where you went to school. I know people who went there. And yeah, and he's talking. He says, in fact, I was a youth pastor. I go, oh, great. I'm connected. I'm going, this is great. A youth pastor knows where I went to school. He kind of went to a similar school. Yeah, this is good. I said, where do you go to church? He goes, oh, my wife and I, we don't, we don't do that anymore. You're not a youth pastor anymore? He says, no, 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 we, we're not part of a church. I said, what are you a part of? He says, Rotary. He says, we're doing some really great things. And I'm like, twitching. And I go, what do you mean you're not a part of a church? He says, well, we just got some other things going now. Hey, it's great to be a part of the Rotary. Great things. But it doesn't hold a candle to the Lord's church. It doesn't hold a candle. You need to be here or someplace else. That's where you need to be. Epaphras knew there was a danger in drifting away and other ideas and other philosophies. He knew there was a problem, and so he prayed. He agonized in prayer over them. This, uh, um, this man, Epaphras, um, I love the way this, this, this plays out. He says this, Paul says this of him. Verse 13, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. I bear witness. I saw him work hard. You know, uh, when you get uh, references, you know, especially, uh, you know, uh, when you don't know somebody. And uh, someone says, you know, I, I need to remodel my bathroom. Who should I use? Who should I use? And he said, I'm a little nervous because I hear about that, you know, things not working out well and everything. So I, I, you talk to friends, you say, who should I use? And he said, well, I had this guy do my bathroom and he did a terrible job. Do not use them, right? And you say, well, but somebody else, but I heard this other person, go talk to them. They had, they had a good experience. I've been to their house and this person worked hard. These people were genuine. These people really made it happen. And you go, that's the person I want. That's the person I want. Paul is saying that about Epaphras. He says, I've seen his work. You may not have seen it, but I've seen it. I've seen him pray for you. And the crazy thing is, did you, did you get this? Church at Colossae. Church at Colossae. He says, I know he loves you, but he doesn't just love you. There's two other churches in there that he loves. He's doing the same thing for other churches as well. You see, Epaphras was mighty in the church. He was mighty in the church. He was powerful, but he was just one of them. He was just one of them. Just a normal guy. Normal guy in the church, but super effective, super powerful. Why? Because he understood his own need for prayer. He realized that the work of the ministry wasn't done by so many other things that could go on, but it was done in private before the Lord, agonizing, working hard. Hard labor. As I think about prayer in the Bible, and we, we haven't really talked a whole lot about how to pray. Um, I, I want to tell you it's hard work and it's agonizing work. Just pour your heart out to Him. God will sort it out, okay? God will sort it out. I think about my list of people that that need me to pray for them. That that work that I could do, that agonizing work that I could do. And it just, more people keep coming up. And some of us go, well, we don't know what to pray about. Are you kidding me? Look around. Open your eyes. Plenty to pray for. 
and bring those burdens and cares before the Lord. Agonize over them before Him. Be willing to do the labor, the work of the ministry. And what is it? It's prayer. It's interesting to me that as I look over the the Scriptures, uh, the prophets prayed. The Old Testament, they prayed all the time. You, you, you look through and you see throughout history, they prayed. They, they brought these cares and praises before the Lord. They prayed. Prophets prayed. Kings prayed. Apostles prayed. Beggars prayed. And the thing that is most interesting to me is that Jesus also prayed. Jesus also prayed. We're going to talk about that next week, just a little bit of his prayer for us. But if everyone in the Bible prayed... If everyone who was part of God's people pray, shouldn't we pray too? Shouldn't we pray? And not just a casual, hey, remember this guy, that guy, and the rest of those people at that church in Bear Valley, but to be willing to agonize, to be laborers of prayer. That's what I want to be. And I hope that I find uh, people among you that are already doing that and are wanting to do that as we go forward together. Let's pray and ask that God would make us people who pray. God, thank you for the time before your word. Uh, I ask that you would uh, change our hearts, that you would change our affections, not for things that uh, cause us to use our own strength, but that you would change our hearts in such a way that we would know our need to be men and women of prayer. God, we do need you. Uh, in all things, but especially for the growing of this church and the honoring of you in this place. Let us never forget our needs for you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.